0: It was a typical Saturday afternoon. A week prior, I had made plans with three of my friends to trip on some very potent liquid LSD we had picked up recently. I was given a serious warning from my dealer not to consume more than three drops. He sincerely claimed that the vial needed to have a warning label on it. His source had driven several hours to another city just to obtain the acid, because it was such a wicked batch. It was supposedly barely diluted. Being my usual skeptical self, I decided I was going to ignore his advice and go balls deep to see what beautiful places my mind could take me to. My friends were very inexperienced with LSD for the most part. One friend, who will be called Jam, had tripped a total of seven or so times. Another friend, D, a single time, actually two days before this trip. And the other friend, Ka, was dropping for his first time for his birthday. The day seemed all too perfect for anything to mess up. Despite the fact that during this time in my life, I had had a myriad of personal issues and insecurities that could possibly lead to bad experiences, but I didn't completely take that into account. I'm honestly starting to get slightly uneasy even thinking about the experience I'm about to describe. Around 3.30 p.m., one of my other friends named Kai, who was sober, picked me up from my house. He was with D and Ka, who were minutes away from consuming their acid. We drove to my other friend's house, where my personal stash of acid was sitting in the freezer. The LSD was dropped onto sugar cubes. Our plan was to drive to our friend Jack's house and enjoy the ride in a safe setting, while the people that opted not to trip smoked marijuana. I walked into his house and saw a couple of my friends there. We briefly conversed and smoked a bowl of top-quality CBD-rich sativa marijuana, an antipsychotic chemical in marijuana that reduces anxiety for a few minutes as a way to ease me into my trip. Haha, <laughs> yeah right. I believe this is what made the come up so overwhelmingly fast. I pulled a whopping five sugar cubes out of the freezer and shoved them in my mouth, then licked a bunch of sugar crumbles off the foil which came from the edges of the 11 sugar cubes I had in my stash. My friends were a bit shocked I was willing to go that far but they were already sort of used to my tendency to consume large quantities of psychedelic drugs. I talked with them for another 10 minutes or so, then I went back to the car. On my way to the car, I noticed I was starting to feel increasingly disoriented. It wasn't that euphoric, confusing sort of disorientation. It was more of a, I'm losing my fucking mind sort of thing. I felt slightly anxious, but I assumed the negative feelings would pass as soon as the acid took full effect. A couple minutes after I got in the car, D ate two sugar cubes and Ka ate one. I suspect this was easily around a thousand micrograms. I have consumed a hundred plus UG blotter that did not compare at all to this liquid. On a separate occasion, taking two of these was enough for a level 4 experience. Hallucinations, ESP, and OBEs. This experience was about to get very, very ugly. To give a little perspective on the unfathomable effects of a thousand microgram doses, here's a quote from the Nobel Prize winning chemist Carey Mullis that ingested a thousand micrograms for his first dose. When you take a thousand micrograms of LSD, you don't know you've taken anything. It just feels like that's the way it is. You might suddenly find yourself sitting on a building in Egypt 3,000 years ago, watching boats on the Nile. Yes, it is that fucking crazy. 10 minutes into the car ride, and 20 minutes after eating the sugar cubes, I was rapidly losing all touch with reality. I started wondering what the fuck was going on around me, and why I was feeling so uncomfortable. I started telling my friends I was really scared, and the intense anxiety was gripping every single fiber of my body. I thought I was going to die, and that this trip was going to last until the end of eternity. By the minute, I was starting to panic more. This was only the beginning of an unimaginable nightmare that would show me the evil side of LSD, and completely change my opinion about the drug in general. 25 minutes after taking the sugar cubes, we arrived at Jack's house. By that time, I was stumbling all over the place, and I was already having severe visual distortion. All movements were followed by strobing trails composed of detailed patterns, kaleidoscopes, and rainbows. These visuals that I would have, usually considered beautiful, were now viewed as a reminder that I was in the middle of a trip that I so desperately wanted to end. When I got inside his house, I saw a few more of my friends sitting on the couch my body temperature had elevated to the point that I thought I was burning alive. I was completely out of my body and almost felt like I was on a high dose of ketamine. I felt embarrassed because I obviously looked like I couldn't handle my shit. Maybe this was just an extreme amplification of my general self-esteem issues. Their faces were assuming demonic forms. I fled to Jack's room. I was already starting to experience ego loss. I was going in and out of consciousness. This is the point where I lost track of time, so there's no point of trying to estimate anything. Jack followed me to his room and did his best to comfort me and talk me out of my bad trip. It was a completely ineffective attempt. A couple minutes later, I started crying hysterically. Everything was getting darker. I fell into the most depressive state of my life, combined with the most acute sense of panic I've ever experienced. The floor was covered in spiraling kaleidoscopes that were rapidly shifting colors. I heard thousands of voices call me names like Pussy and Bitch. The room reeked of sewage and feces. This was the most negative emotion a human being could ever fathom. I so desperately wanted to kill myself, but I was immobilized and unable to move. I realized that the voices were all the people I resented in my life the most. Cartoon blood was all over the ceiling, and the walls. My vision seemed to stretch off into infinity. I was hallucinating so much, I couldn't fucking believe it. I could see many different events of my life playing out, as if it was waking reality. Try and imagine being inside of a Saw movie firsthand, but a thousand times more horrifying and traumatic. There was a moment in which my mind would shoot out of my body two feet in front of me, and then return into my body. And this looped over and over again, for what felt like forever, at an impossible speed. Time was non-existent, and each second felt like forever. Not hours, not days, but an infinite amount of time. I kept hearing this bizarre futuristic noise that sounded like a computer glitching. The whole room was flashing, as if something was flicking the on switch for a lamp, up and down repeatedly. My jaw was rapidly vibrating like I had taken 300 milligrams of MDMA. I had full-blown synesthesia. Everything was one. Everything was infinitely interconnected. I would look at the walls and become them. I would look at the floor, then become the floor. Looking back at my body in a dissociative fashion. I was unable to differentiate any part of the outside world from my own physical body. The concept of I was now a mere construct of my mind and I was nothing more than a complex bundle of atoms and molecules. The floor started to wither away and die. It was as if it had human emotions and was feeling every bit of suffering I was going through at the time. Everything started to turn blood red. I was going straight to the depths of hell. Matrix numbers were literally exploding out of the ground and shooting up and down the walls. I felt like I was on DMT, only it was a thousand times more intense. Somehow, just a little while after this part of the trip, I regained some degree of consciousness. I stumbled to the backyard, where a group of eight or so people were sitting, and I was watching the sky, and everything in my external environment turning black and red. I could barely see anything, my vision was almost completely shot. I forgot that I even had a body at this point, and I had absolutely no control over my muscular movements. I was in the survival mode, where my mind was on autopilot, and I had no idea that I was on drugs. I lost balance and fell backward onto the ground. I continued to see more incredible vortexes of matrix-style numbers and letters spurred out from every direction. During my friend's attempts to help restore me to sanity, they asked if I knew what time it was. I responded with 8 a.m. when it was late in the afternoon. That was quite enough of a response to prove I was completely and utterly going nuts, and there was no real way to help me. Once night fell, I was full-on peeking in Jack's room. I began to literally have no idea who I was, where I was, or what drug I was on, or what drugs were in the first place. I knew that I was going to die, and nothing could be done to stop it. At some point at the beginning of the peak, I realized that I could not recognize the room I was in. Suddenly, I started seeing several cop cars pull into the room and put their sirens on. Yellow caution tape magically appeared around them as well. This was one of my worst nightmares coming to life before my very eyes. There was a line of already arrested criminals in handcuffs next to the cop cars, and they were all complaining that I'd snitched on them for some unspecified reason. I knew I was in for absolute hell. Before I could see what was going to happen next, everything started fading to white. I could see nothing but burning white light, like I was looking directly at the sun from a 100 feet away. What I saw was the ultimate truth, the answer to every question, the reason reality is the way that it is. I existed within the past, present, and future simultaneously. I couldn't see my own hand in front of my face. I dissolved into infinity. I was existing in an infinite number of dimensions, living an infinite number of lives simultaneously for an infinite amount of time. Though my memory of this is hazy, I believe I relived every event of my entire life during the peak. I could fit our entire universe into a period at the end of a sentence. Time was a point of nothingness. I was everything, yet I was nothing. I was in pure ecstasy. I felt the unconditional love of the universe penetrating every pore of my body. If only this could have lasted forever. I suppose this was a taste of the beautiful part of ego death, but my stay in this ineffable place was cut short when I was suddenly catapulted into hyperspace, where I experienced every ounce of pain any human being could ever possibly experience at one time. The love Rapidly shifted to evil in its purest definition. I saw many miserable people I had seen throughout my life, including the homeless and starving. My brain sensory filter was gone. Every last bit of information that could physically be processed at once was flowing through my head at light speed. I was dropped out of hyperspace, directly into a hallucinatory prison facility. I saw hundreds of pit bulls, white supremacists, and naked black men running around. It was a state of sheer pandemonium. I have never been so unbelievably horrified in my entire life. I was now sure that this is where I would die. I was taken to the showers where I was bitten repeatedly by pit bulls and raped by the white supremacists and black men simultaneously. I was sobbing hysterically, screaming for it to stop. It was physical and emotional torture beyond your wildest dreams. I felt every single sensation, including their penises in my anus, and the razor sharp teeth of the vicious dogs. Who knows how long this actually went on for, but eventually, this torture ended and I was back in Jack's room. I saw all of my friends' faces covered in knife wounds and deep, bleeding cuts. Puddles of blood were all over the room. My joints were still in severe pain from the physical torture I had just experienced. I looked at the clock and it read 9pm or something along those lines. Minutes after I came back to Earth, I realized that the purpose for human existence was to love. Love is our higher purpose. I now understood that the ego I had developed my entire life was an illusion all along. Our egos push us away from our ability to feel compassion towards others. As your ego fades away, you slowly dissolve into pure, unadulterated love. The illusion of separation created by our egos has been the root cause of suffering all across our planet. And sadly, this is the reason the majority of the world kills each other for absurd purposes like religion and resources. Religions like Christianity hide behind the idea that there is an afterlife because they are afraid of death. There is nothing to fear because when you die, there is no you to fear anything. The only thing that separates us from other forms of life is our ability to think. Our ego is composed of our thoughts. When we stop relying on our ego, we cannot experience negative emotions. When we stop thinking, our ego ceases to exist and then we can live a life of pure love, peace, and prosperity. The more we rely on our ego, the more we push ourselves away from the moment, which is all. Nothing inside the moment we are in right now will ever exist. Yesterday never is, and tomorrow will never be. Time is infinite. The past, present, and future are all occurring simultaneously. We are merely observers. Free will is an illusion. I quickly forgot all of these things within the 15 minutes of the peak ending. I did not fully understand the lessons I learned until many months after the trip. The next day was easily the worst day of my life, excluding the trip. I felt so self-conscious about myself that suicide was all I can think about. I was thoroughly convinced that I had ruined my life permanently. During ego death, I became aware of the severity of my many mental disorders. I realized that throughout my entire life, I had been looked down upon as a special kid. I had not been aware of this until that moment. I felt like I was the most inferior form of life on the face of the earth. After I got home, I burst into tears. I even thought my family felt sorry for me and had pitied me my whole life because they thought I was a moron. I had a psychotic break for weeks afterward. This was easily the most traumatic thing I have ever gone through in my entire life and has left a lasting mark on me that I carry to this day. It's been over six months now and I think about this trip every day of my life. It's nothing any human being ever deserves to go through and I would never wish it on my worst enemy. Over time, this trip has had a profound impact on all areas of my life in both positive and negative ways. The positive. I have very close friends now, and rather than the special kid, many people now view me as a very insightful and intelligent person. Before this experience, I had very, very few friends. I wasn't close friends with the ones mentioned in this report, but we chilled every once in a while. I now know what true friendship is. I go to parties, I meet new people all the time. I suspect I used to have a mild form of autism, and this trip literally eradicated it. My entire family has mentioned multiple times that I am a transformed person. I have fully developed social skills. I act normally now. I view everyone I meet as a part of my own consciousness. I've earned excellent grades at my community college and have grown tremendously. Multiple people have commented that I'm an entirely different person. I've taken up buddhism and adopted a very spiritual lifestyle. The negative. Several months ago, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I suspect I was already predisposed to this condition, but my trip brought it out. I still have mental flashbacks nearly every day and have been scarred by this experience. I frequently have nightmares about this trip. My thoughts can be very scattered and clouded at times. My thinking is very impaired on some days, but it's very sporadic. I've also learned how fucked up our world is, and sometimes, I feel that ignorance is bliss. Our society disgusts me. I do believe that the human race is a joke. I'm gonna say one thing, do not take a high dose of acid unless you have a proper set and setting, or it can turn into the worst nightmare of your entire life. 300 micrograms is more than enough to have a spiritual experience. A thousand plus micrograms did not provide a near-death experience. It provided a beyond-death experience. LSD is a seriously powerful drug, and it has the ability to fuck a person like nothing they could ever conceive of. In fact, after this experience, I firmly believe it is the most powerful drug known to the human race. I had read about Datura in Carlos Castaneda's book The Teachings of Don Juan and could not believe that the plant was hallucinogenic. At the time, I was very naive and had no experience with drugs of any kind and almost killed myself that way. I broke off a whole branch of a Brugmansia tree and I took it home where I made a little salad out of it. I chopped the leaves, mixed it with some olive oil and I started eating it. The taste was awful, very bitter. Thankfully, I only had two or three mouthfuls and then I sat down and started reading this Sunday paper. About 20 to 30 minutes later, I started seeing the whole room in red color as if I was looking through a sheet of red plastic. I tried to focus on the Sunday papers classified and much to my horror, All the news were dated of the late 1800s, and were about slaves being sold and traded. The paper looked very authentic, sepia tone and all, and no pictures like modern papers have. Then I turned the page, and I saw one picture of a female slave, whom I somehow knew was myself, attached to a torture pole, being whipped and bleeding. When I tried to focus on the picture, the slave turned her head, and looked directly at me I Freaked out and left the apartment and took a taxi to my grandmother's house She sent for my oldest uncle who was a shaman, but he wasn't home, and I just returned home by myself That night they took me back to see my uncle and he didn't find anything unusual with me because they never mentioned I had eaten the leaves of Brugmansia So I went back home and laid down in bed next to my husband, and went to sleep. In the middle of the night, probably about 1am, I wake up and turn around, and instead of my husband, I find a skeleton lying down next to me. I screamed at the top of my lungs and woke up my parents, and would not stop screaming until they came and told my husband to leave the room. From that night on, I could not look at my husband without seeing him involved in red color, and somehow, I felt like he had a demonic presence in him, and I would always scream until someone would come and take him out of the room. The next day, my parents took me to a doctor, who happened to be a Japanese neurologist, who was famous for dealing with teenagers and young people having psychological problems. I don't know what he prescribed, but I remember reading the labels and telling my parents that I was not going to take that stuff because it was probably too strong for me. They insisted though, because it had been prescribed by a doctor and it was supposed to stop my wandering around. Still to this day, I do not know what was prescribed to me, but I got a hundred percent worse and ended up in a psychiatric hospital about six weeks later. During those six weeks, I had several hallucinations about the devil, and I would feel his presence very close to me, sometimes licking my face and ears, other times whipping me with his tail, but I never saw a face, only the body from the waist down, which looked like it belonged to an animal, black, shiny fur, and two goat-like feet. One time I was lying in a hammock in my mom's yard, being closely watched by her and my aunt. And I got up all of a sudden, saying that a horrible storm was approaching and I could feel the wind, the dust, and very heavy rain fall all over me, while I felt totally blind. My mom and her sister walked me back to the hammock and made me lie down, and then I could not move anymore. I was blind and paralyzed. They decided to take me to their spiritualist church in the evening, and I remember being led there totally blind. But after about five minutes of being there, I started regaining my vision, and my movements. When people who knew me since I was little came to talk to me, I never answered them, and just begged my parents to take me back home. Then my mom took me to one of her prayer partner's house for praying, and I asked for a glass of water. And when the lady came back with the water, I just threw the whole thing on her face. Every time she looked at me earlier, I could see her twisting her face and her eyes in mockery, so that was my way of responding to that. She held me by the arm and walked me to a big picture of Christ hanging on our wall and said a few words in the sense that whomever was trying to take over me had to know that Christ was the Father. I remember regaining consciousness immediately after that. Then on a Sunday, one of my brother's friends came to visit And when I looked at her face, the flesh started falling off, as if it was rotten, and I was terrified. And again, screamed at the top of my lungs, until someone took the girl away from the room. I remember having the same hallucination when looking at a magazine cover, and also, when looking at myself in the mirror, which made me avoid mirrors for a very long time. In the meantime, my parents kept taking me to the neurologist, who kept drugging me more and more, totally oblivious to the descriptions of my parents about my condition. At this time, I had been practically locked up in my parents' home. But anytime anyone came to visit, I would try to escape, and would run straight into traffic. I guess I was trying to kill myself. Then for a while, the hallucinations stopped, and I was allowed to go back to my own apartment with my husband. But one night, he woke up and found me on the window of the sixth floor apartment and took me down and back to my parents' house. I remember clearly waking up in the middle of the night and hearing a very insistent voice telling me to climb on the windows to jump off. I did what the voice was telling me to do, not without much hesitation, but the voice was stronger than my will. I remember that it was cold, and I decided to grab a blanket to cover my shoulders before climbing on the window. And apparently, that's what startled my husband, and made him wake up and grab me before I jumped off. Back at my parents' house, I went on seeing people's flesh fall off their faces, or them turn into apes right before my eyes. And whenever that happened, I wanted to run down the street to escape that vision. One day I did succeed and run away, but when I got around the block, I saw a lady that owned a cafe in my parents' neighborhood and decided to sit down and have a chat with her. My mom had come down the street trying to catch me, but when she saw her brother's car approach, she asked him to go after me. They found me sitting at the cafe peacefully chatting with the lady owner, and they put me in my uncle's car and took me back to the neurologist's office for one more visit. By this time, I was equating the doctor's office to a place linked to death for some reason, and I remember walking down the entrance with my uncle holding my arm, but the minute I opened the door and stepped into the office, I saw myself alone in an empty room with a coffin lying in the middle of it. When I looked inside of the coffin, my uncle was lying in it, dead. I screamed again and took off to the streets, The doctor's office was in an older neighborhood, and had six feet high iron gates with spikes around it. I remember climbing the gate, and jumping on the street with my uncle trying to grab me. I ran right onto the busiest traffic, and when I was about to step into it, I saw a guy standing up on the curb. He looked back at me, and he told me to go back to my uncle. He had a very assertive smile on his face, so I decided to obey him and just turn around and went back to my uncle, who was coming running down the street trying to catch me. After this incident, my parents decided to take me to see a psychiatrist. Then I knew that that would be the end, and I fought against it. They had to have three or four people grab me and lock me up in my dad's car for the one-hour ride to the psychiatrics office. When we arrived, I realized that my husband and my brother were also meeting with a psychiatrist, and as soon as the meeting started, I just stripped right in front of everybody, and went from person to person, asking them if they wanted to fuck me. In my mind, I had been taken there to be fertilized by the devil, a la Rosemary's Baby, so I just decided to go ahead and be done with it. I thought that maybe if I seduce one of those people, my own husband, my dad, and my brother, that it would somehow keep me from being raped by the devil. The psychiatrist told my parents to lock me up, and they did. He told them I would be in for at least six months, and after I went in, the hallucinations continued on. One time, I looked out of the hospital's window, and saw a river of fire coming down the concrete steps of the property next to it. And in the middle of all the fire, There were all these mad dogs, barking, and being pushed down the river. Simply horrible. Neither the doctors nor my family knew what I had taken, but somehow the one in charge of me decided to do a detox, and that saved my life. Two weeks later, I was out of the hospital, and it took me at least two years of therapy, without any medication, mind you, with an orthodox Freudian doctor, the same one that had me detoxed for me to go back to having a normal life. I agree with one of the people that described their experience that this herb aims to kill and after regaining consciousness I heard several stories of people killing themselves after drinking the tea. I guess I was extremely lucky to come out of the experience alive because I felt that if I died under the effect that my soul was going to be in the devil's service to act on other people who took the herb. It was more or less like this other guy describes below, that it seems like once you die under the effect of Datura, you belong to an evil group, and you can never free yourself again. By the way, my mom said that right after I was put in the hospital, my uncle, the shaman, had a session for me in the middle of the forest, and told her that she could rest assured that I would be out of the hospital in no time, and that I would be safe after that. The year is now 2000, and I still haven't fully recovered from that experience. Whatever the temptation is, watch out. Don't do it. Had it been now, and in America, I would have sued the neurologist who prescribed all those drugs, and never had a clue that I was intoxicated. It could have cost my life. The plant alone has claimed many lives, and it hasn't been funny. So please, don't go there. It was Friday night. I had just managed to obtain 10 hits of blotter, and this was the first time I would be trying LSD. I was very excited at the time, and couldn't wait to try it. I had done extensive research beforehand, and on this particular Friday night, I really thought I was ready to escape reality. Little did I know what was in store for me later that night. So the night progressed, and I invited a few friends over to my house. For the purpose of this story, we're going to call these people, Jack, Kate, Tim, and Ben. Kate had also done a bit of research and was ready to try it as well. It was just going to be her and I tripping while everyone else was just going to be hanging out and trip-sitting and making sure we stayed under control. So the time came when we were ready to try it. I handed her a hit of blotter and took one for myself and we both popped them in our mouths. We then decided to go watch TV while we waited for it to kick in. It seemed to take an eternity. After about two hours, I called a friend of mine and asked him what the deal was. He insisted that I just keep waiting, so I did. About 10 minutes later, Kate claimed she could feel it. I, however, could not. About 15 minutes later, I began to feel it as well. It came on slowly. My thoughts seemed to wander wherever I would let them go. Everything I touched had a very interesting feeling to it. Some of the things I touched felt really uncomfortable. I picked up Ben's keychain and stared at it in amazement at all of the colors for about five minutes. Then it started feeling really odd and like it was cutting into my hand. I instantly threw it down on the table. While Kate was already tripping hard and had went into the other room, I wasn't quite all the way there yet. I went to see what she was up to, and she kept going on about snakes for the next half-hour, and how the room was filled with snakes and the snake gods. At this point, I was enjoying myself and having a really good time, just laughing about everything. The smallest thing seemed hilarious. For the next few minutes, I was just fucking around with Kate while she was going on and on about snakes, and kept unplugging her laptop cord, which for some reason was hilarious at the time. I was really enjoying myself. I just felt like fucking around with everyone. I was there on the ground, screaming and yelling, Ben, Ben. Then he would come into the room and I would go completely silent. Then he'd walk back into the living room where the other trip sitters were and I'd scream and yell his name again. This went on about three more times until he finally just got sick of my shit and started ignoring me. I had some really crazy visuals, the most noticeable being when I looked at people's faces. While watching someone talking, their face would kind of morph and get larger and smaller. Their expression would also constantly change. This was quite amusing. At this point, both of us were tripping quite hard and nearing peak. We were laying on the ground and just having a good time. At this point. One of my trip-sitters decided that he had to try it after watching how much fun we were having. I kept telling him no, but he didn't listen. He went to the kitchen and grabbed a hit, then threw the money at me a bit later. A little while after, I found out that every person in my house had done the same thing. They all wanted to try it, so they took a hit without my approval. I started panicking. They were treating this drug that they had never researched before, like it was something small like weed or alcohol. Tim even claimed it was no big deal and it's just a drug you chill out with with your friends. Oh how wrong he was. I was starting to freak out. Thoughts were racing through my head. I kept thinking, I'm losing control here and kept thinking how terrible it was that we had no trip sitter to keep anyone under control. Then I started freaking out about the fact that it was my house and that if anything got broken my parents would kill me. From this point on, I could not enjoy the trip. I was panicking and beginning to sweat. Everyone was tripping and there wasn't a single sober person at my house. People were all over the place doing God knows what and I was really not enjoying myself. I became very hot so I decided to go outside to cool off. We went up on the pool deck outside my house. Everyone else came with me. I kept asking them who hadn't taken it, but I kept being assured by everyone that each person there had done it. This just made me freak out even more. Tim tried to calm me down, which worked for a little bit. We laid there for a little while, reminiscing about the classic scene in the Pirates of Silicon Valley where Steve Jobs takes LSD. We discussed it for a while and talked about how amazing it was that they made all those computers. This doesn't make any sense to me as I'm typing it, but at the time, we all thought it made perfect sense. The pool deck had an amazing unique feel to it, as did anything else I touched, and my vision was filled with colors. I was finally starting to enjoy myself again for a little while, but it was short-lived. Kate and Ben had run off, and everyone was just being very loud outside. I started worrying again. A bit later, I felt too cold outside, so we all eventually made our way back in. It wasn't but a minute later that the doorbell rang. Tim went and answered the door. It was the cops. They wanted to talk to me, since I lived at the house. I was panicking again. I could hardly even talk. I went outside to speak with the officer, who said they had gotten a welfare check call. I kept trying to convince the officer that everything was fine and that no one had done anything. I also kept saying that I did not want them searching my house under any circumstances. I couldn't think very straight at the time as I was at the peak of my trip now. I just kept repeating that I didn't want them searching my house. This officer kind of gave up on me for a while while another officer came out to talk to me. This officer tried to talk to me on a much more personal level. He said how he knew we were on something and that his guess was acid. I didn't say a yes or a no, but my facial expression did change when I realized he knew what was up. He continued talking to me on a personal level, and started going on about how he used to sell dope at my age. Then he started talking about how he turned his life around, and that I needed to do that as well. At this point, the other officer came back outside and started questioning me again too. I felt so intimidated and scared at the same time. I was tripping hard, and I could not handle the situation at all. I felt like I was two inches tall, and the officers were giants. I felt like I was a small bug about a second away from being stomped on. They also questioned my friends, in a different area away from me. My friends had told them that I had sold it to them. I tried to weasel my way out of everything, but I was tripping so hard that I just couldn't handle it. I don't remember a whole lot of what happened next, but the officers had entered my house, and they found the remaining five hits of blotter, which I had left in a DVD case on the kitchen counter. I felt destroyed. I knew in my mind that this was the end. At this point, they had also called an ambulance to my house, as well as backup police officers. My entire cul-de-sac was filled with law enforcement, Since I was freaking out even more now, the police officer led me over to the ambulance so that the medical examiner could check me out. He said I would be fine and that I just had a really high pulse. Some of the police officers were enjoying themselves and fucking around with me at the time. I remember one officer telling me to go to another officer. Then when I got there, he would say, What are you doing here? I told you to go over there. One of the officers who was talking to my friends inside of my house was talking about all the crazy things all my friends were saying, and how they were definitely gone. Eventually, one of the officers led me back to my front porch to help me get my shoes. I put them on, then I was put in the back of a police car. I fell two inches tall again. I began to feel very claustrophobic, and started freaking out again. I kept looking out the window, and eventually, they let me out again for a while. They asked me a few more questions, then I asked if I could call my parents. At this point, the reality had really struck me. I knew how fucked I was. I knew I was being arrested and I knew there was nothing I could do to get out of this. I called my father, crying to him on the phone and telling him how sorry I was for disappointing him. I went on and on about how I should have listened to him. After a while, the police officer told me to wrap it up. So I said my goodbyes, and he then took my phone as evidence. I was put back into the police car, and an officer got in and started it. We started driving to the police station. I had calmed down slightly, and I remember saying, Damn, as the officer floored it once we got out onto the main road. Eventually, we got to the police station, and I was led inside. I was still tripping, and had trouble remembering what he was telling me to do. He led me down a hallway and had me sign some papers. Then, he led me into a small holding cell. Once I was in the cell, I realized the severity of the situation again. The cell was a small room with bright lights, a mirror, a toilet, and a sink. I sat on the bench in the cell and just thought about everything and wondered how I got myself into this. I started crying and asking myself out loud, how could I do this? How could this happen? This talking to myself went on for probably an hour. Then I proceeded to stare at the floor of the cell, which caused me to see some very interesting visual hallucinations. I couldn't enjoy myself, though. My mind was not in the right place. At this point, I just wanted to end the trip. I took a drink of water, then took a look at myself in the mirror. I looked terrible. I definitely looked like someone who was fucked up. I kept on having weird thoughts like, is this me? Is this who I am? Over the next couple of hours, I kept drinking water to help end my trip faster and also went to the restroom a few times. Finally, the officer opened the cell and I was let out. I was told that I would be going to the local juvenile detention facility. My heart sunk and again, I realized just how much shit I'd gotten myself into. I was put into handcuffs and shackles, then I was led outside by two more officers into a white van. At this point, it was around 5 a.m., and I had not slept yet. I couldn't sleep, though, as I was still tripping. I was put into the back of this van while the officers got in and began to drive. The juvenile detention facility was around two hours away, so they told me to try and get some sleep. I tried, but I couldn't. It was very uncomfortable sitting with handcuffs and shackles on. During the two-hour drive, I had some very weird thoughts. I thought a lot about life and how these officers were just normal people who happened to have a job in law enforcement and how they all had their own families and their own problems. This was just their job. My mind wandered the entire ride there. Eventually, we got there. I was taken out of the vehicle and led to the door outside the facility. A very buff man was standing outside of it. The officers wished me luck and left me with this man, who then proceeded to yell at me like a drill sergeant. He made me repeat everything he said and started going over some of the ground rules of the facility. There was a yellow line taped down on the floor, and I had to acknowledge all the officers and request permission to cross it. This was very hard to do at the time, as I was still kind of fucked up, and I hadn't slept in ages. Eventually, one of the guards led me into a room and had me shower, and then gave me prison clothes to change into. I couldn't believe I was actually in jail. After I finished my shower, he let me call my parents. I told them to get me a lawyer, and they agreed. That was the last I would hear from them. Eventually, I was led to a room with bunks and with other inmates. The next three days that I would remain in this facility would be the worst days of my life. The first day was the worst. I was still coming down from the LSD and I was not allowed to sleep at all until 10 p.m. rolled around. Needless to say, I could hardly function during the day and was completely exhausted by the time night came around. The facility operated like a standard jail, asshole guards, terrible food, no rights, and nothing to do besides reading the roll sheet you were given. If you had good behavior, you could later be upgraded and be able to read the Bible. Then if you continued to have good behavior, you could check out a book. The three days I had remained in this facility were the longest days of my life. What was even worse was that all the kids in there were in there for real crimes like fighting and stealing. I was in there for a drug charge, a victimless crime. Every night before I went to sleep, I would think about how I was going to possibly get out of there, and how long I would be in there. On the third day, I was taken to court in another white van, along with a dozen other inmates that were scheduled for court that day. We got to the courthouse, and my case happened to be the very first one. My parents, my lawyer, and I all went to the stand. My lawyer did most of the talking, and eventually, it was agreed upon that I should get out of the juvenile detention facility, but have house arrest for a month, and then eight more months of probation. I was unhandcuffed and released to my parents. This is where my story ends. All this happened over one hit of LSD. My trip was a train wreck, a complete disaster. I later found out that all my friends had gotten off scot-free, not even charged or anything. I was slapped with over $1,000 of fees, and now had to serve probation. I wasn't able to properly evaluate the drug, Erewid style, due to everything that had happened. Would I ever eventually try LSD again? I'm not sure at this point. If I did try it, it definitely wouldn't be at my house again. No one wants to have the thought that your best friend could be dead, but in an instant, what I thought would be a fun date with two other girls turned out to be the most terrifying night of my life. Before that cold October night, I never looked at life the same, because I never had to stare death straight in the face. Nelson is my closest friend who normally has a good head on his shoulders, but like all of us, makes mistakes now and then. I met him in kindergarten, and we have been brothers ever since. That's why when his life was on the line, I gave everything I had to keep him alive. It all started when I got a call from him one night, and he wanted to know if I wanted to go out with him and two sophomore girls that we knew at the time. Hell yeah, I said, like usual. I could always count on Nelson to introduce me to cool girls. So he came and picked me up with his truck, and like usual, we both brought a sizable amount of liquor. But in no way was this night going to be anywhere near usual. Are you ready to get messed up tonight, dude? He screamed as I entered the truck. Definitely, I replied, because at that moment, I was ready to get inebriated and have a good time. But if I could have seen the future, I would have poured out our bottles and stayed at home. We then headed to pick up the girls at their house. After we got them, we spent a couple of minutes deciding what to do. I know of a treehouse near some office buildings that people would party at. When we arrived, we started to walk in the woods that the tree house was in. I was ready to start drinking, when Nelson made a comment to me that I regretfully neglected. I'm so ready to get ripped, I said. Dude, I've already had 10 shots, he replied. No you didn't, you liar! I joked with him because I had never known him to drink so excessively that quick. We forged our way through the dense woods on the way to the tree. We finally made it there climbed up the ladder to a wooden platform with handrails on all sides. We all took our seats, and I began to swig my vodka down as Nelson began to speak. Man, I'm so pissed that football season is over, I can't believe that I'm never going to play again, and I didn't even get the playing time I wanted this season. I could tell he wasn't being himself as he started to gulp down his raspberry vodka. Dude, calm down on that vodka if you've already had 10 shots, I said. Don't worry about me, I'll be fine, he replied, but I should have worried about him because I knew the dangers of alcohol poisoning and that the stuff is literally a poison and will kill you if too much is consumed. He took a few more swigs and said, I'll be right back, I have to go take a piss. He scaled down the ladder and little did I know, that would be the last time he was conscious for the rest of the night. I just kept drinking and talking to the girls when I realized that Nelson was taking longer than he should. I called out to him below, but there was nothing but silence. Peering over the edge, I could see him laying stomach down amongst the leaves and the dirt. I knew something was wrong if he was passed out at 10 o'clock. I tried yelling at him to wake up, but I got no answer. I then carefully scaled down the ladder and walked up to him. I was disgusted at the sight of him pathetically lying down in his own urine. The girls eventually made their way down to see what the commotion was all about. They had obviously never witnessed anything like that because I could tell that they were frightened. ''Nelson!'' I yelled over and over again in his ear hoping he would regain consciousness. I have known him to be an extremely deep sleeper and wanted to make sure he wasn't just taking a quick snooze, so I yelled at the top of my lungs. Nelson, if you don't get your ass up right now, I'm gonna call the paramedics and you'll go to the hospital. When he was still silent after that, I knew something had to be done. I spent a good five minutes hollering profanities and punching trees in anger. I knew the only thing that I could do was to take him back to his house and deal with his parents. I got a hold of him and tried to lift him off the ground, but I had no leverage. Grab his arms and sit him up, I told the girls. Then I threw him over my shoulder. I never realized how heavy a human body can be, especially when it is hanging over your shoulder limp. We slowly cleared our way through the brush while I was having an especially hard time maneuvering through the trees, carrying that 160 pounds. His weight was just bearing down on me and I collapsed to my knees, spilling his body onto the dirt. I couldn't bear to pick him up again, so I began to drag him up the hill to where his car was. I eventually collapsed and started hitting the ground. I was physically and emotionally drained and was obviously in no position to drive. I called my friends Landon and Chris and they drove to the office buildings and started heading down the hill towards us. Oh my god, how long has he been like this? Asked Chris. I'm not sure, he was fine one minute and then just out the next, I said. I was still a little intoxicated, even though an incident like this can sober someone up very quickly. Now with three of us, we easily lifted him and put him in Landon's car. After all of the commotion, he finally showed a sign of life and began to vomit all over Landon's back seat. Although I felt very sorry for Landon, I was glad to see that Nelson was moving around. The girls got picked up by their friend and Landa drove me in Nelson's truck while Chris chauffeured Nelson. I was mortified when we got to his house. His parents are very strict and his father was not only the leader of our church youth group but also my godfather. We went to the front door and rang the doorbell. His mom answered it and it was well past midnight. The first thing she said was, Where's Nelson? She seemed concerned like she knew something was wrong. He had a little too much to drink tonight, and he is in Landon's car, I said, trying to soften the blow. We all went out to the car, and pulled him out of the back seat. His father was the only thing holding him up, while his mom slapped him and yelled for him to wake up. But she was just as unlucky as me in her attempts to awaken him. The only thing left to do was call an ambulance to take him to the nearby hospital. He was now in God's hands. After a sleepless night watching Nelson's house and little brother with Chris and Landon, my mom came to pick me up in the morning before they brought him home. I drove with my mom to the scene of the horrific night where I retrieved Nelson's cell phone, belt, and shoes, which had all been strewn about in my struggle to drag him to safety. My mom told me that he was doing fine, but we were lucky that he didn't pass away. The hospital had to pump out the excessive amounts of vodka and force fed him charcoal to induce vomiting. That long night of terror turned out to be a turning point in my young life. I fully understood that one big mistake can have a greater effect on the people around me than I might think. I felt as if the recreational use of alcohol wasn't worth the risk if it had the potential to murder my best friend. Nelson is now attending Texas Tech University and is still drinking excessively. Which leads me to believe, that even when the correct answer to our problems drags us in the dirt and throws us on a stretcher, we never fully learn from our mistakes. This trip was the most insane, most real, most fucked up, and scariest experience I have definitely had in my life. Please bear with me for the long essay. I really think you will find this thrilling, a life-changing event for me. I am going to go into a little bit of my personal history. This is extremely personal, and I have not told anybody except for one person about this in my entire life. I was molested when I was younger. After all of these years, I finally said it. Now, I was very young, but I do remember it very well, the entire situation was fucked up. Because this happened, I grew up a very different lifestyle than most every other person. The part that sucks about this story is that I didn't know that this happened until about 9th grade. My parents did not tell me or mention anything about this to me. Ever. To this day. I always had an idea that something bad did happen in my youth, but I can never really quite remember it. One day, coming home from school, my dad and I were talking about some good times we had back in our old house. He started talking and rambled on quite some time. One of the things that he said really reminded me about everything that happened. He mentioned the time when a mentally challenged guy was arrested. Somehow, he had just said it. He started to talk about the story and then paused in mid-sentence. Suddenly he changed subjects and started to talk about something else All I could do was think and figure out why he just suddenly started talking about everything else. I Then started feeling chills go down my back. I felt blood rush to my head and a dozen flashbacks hit me real hard These flashbacks were all from the time that I was molested I remember many cops surrounding me holding me and asking me all sorts of questions as I watched this guy get arrested and put in the back of a police car. I was bombarded with so much, I couldn't even handle it. In the car, driving with my dad, I could not say a word. I was stunned and shocked as I felt all these fucked up emotions hitting my body. It took me a lot to get over this. The next few months, I quite literally resorted to drugs to stop me from thinking about this terrible incident. It was really unbearable, and was too much for me to handle. I contemplated suicide very often for the next year. I would take pills out of my parents' medicine cabinets, and just take a variety of what I thought might make me feel better, and forget about the shit that I went through. I visited the hospital a few times that year, from passing out, taking too many of these pills. I always told my parents that it was just an asthma attack, or that I thought I broke a bone. I told the doctors what happened and asked if they wouldn't tell my parents. I knew that the doctor simply lied to my face because a week after, my parents hired me a psychologist. Despite that, I completely ignored the psychologist in every meeting that I had with him. My relationship with my parents went to shit and I don't think I can ever respect them for doing what they did and not telling me what happened to me in my youth. Eventually. I got over the suicide attempts and stopped seeing the psychologist. My drug abuse only grew larger. My parents had no idea what I was doing. Almost every single day, I would find a new way to put some sort of drug in my body to feel good about my life. As time passed, I told myself that I would never bring this up again. Then, while working in a movie theater in 11th grade, my 40-year-old manager, female, started to stalk me. This situation eventually got really bad. She sent me love letters weekly, tried touching me sexually, and she scheduled every shift I worked with her. I eventually took action, but things got worse. I was threatened in person and through letters. From her pressure, I was unsure what I wanted to do. Therefore, I backed off. My general manager kept on pressuring me, trying to get me to show him some hard evidence, because he did not believe my accusations. He was being a real asshole, and didn't want to deal with this sort of trouble. I had multiple emotional breakdowns. Thoughts and memories of this, and my childhood, raced through my memory every night. Taking all of this in, was extremely tough. I did eventually tell this one girl that I really trusted about my entire past. One of the most difficult things I have ever done. Now, here is what happened on my diphenhydramine trip. A brief history, I am an alcoholic and addicted to drugs. I love experimenting with the unreal and will experiment with any drug pushing my body to the limits. The previous weekend, I was drinking heavily with my dad, brother, and my dad's friends. Sunday night, when I got back on campus, I did two full dex trips in one night. First, 13-core Sedan, five contracts, a half bottle of Delsin, two shots of NyQuil, and two DayQuil. Second night, I had three-quarter bottles of Delsin, three contracts, and two DayQuil. I was fucked up and tripping hard. I had a great time. The next night, I researched diphenhydramine. I took 600 milligrams. I weighed 77 kilograms. The trip was an ultra-realistic trip. My body weighed a lot. It was very difficult to speak and walk correctly. A friend and I were in another friend's dorm for about 30 minutes. I didn't think that I was tripping at all. All of a sudden, everyone, except my other tripping buddy, disappeared. It was insanely real. My friend just stared at me and said everyone left 15 minutes ago for a cigarette. All throughout the night, I heard voices and had conversations with myself and with people that were not there. It was intense, lasted about 45 minutes. The next night, I did the same thing, except with 700 milligrams. I had already drank at least five beers. I was doing just fine until I noticed everything was changing in my body. I sort of stood there for a second and remember someone asking me if I was alright. As soon as that display of concern registered in my head, my body weighed a thousand pounds. I could not move at all. My brain completely removed itself from my body and I fell to the ground. I was shaking and my eyes rolled to the back of my head. I could hear everyone talking still, I think. All I heard were random words like hospital, puke, die, fall, bad trip, and more words relating to concern. Each word that I heard felt like a hundred people punching me in every part of my body at the exact same time. I was then lifted into the air and dragged to the toilet. I felt a finger go into my throat, but my gag reflexes were shot. Eventually, it all stopped. I opened my eyes and I was in my bed at my old neighborhood, where I was molested. I remember looking into the mirror and being the height of a ten-year-old. What seemed like months I relived my entire experience explained above. I kept jumping to different parts of my life, not knowing what was real and what wasn't, even though everything looked so damn real. Every time I switched to a new location, I was waking up. I had no idea if I was tripping or not. I must have been in at least 10 to 15 places. The last one was in my old theater that I worked at. My manager was there, and started asking me questions about being molested. There were only two people that knew about this, and he was not one of them. He continues to walk towards me, growing in size, while I was getting smaller. Every time I try to say stop, my mouth would open, and nothing would come out. He then started telling me to just admit it, to just say that I was molested. As his voice grew, others joined in, chanting, Just say it! louder and louder. I even tried to say it, but I just couldn't. I was scared out of my mind. All of a sudden, I broke out of this hole. I was in a comfortable place in the middle of nowhere. Grass was miles in every direction, and I just said it in front of everybody. I woke up in my bed again. Everything was real, but it wasn't. I felt like I jumped through multiple layers of reality. At this point, I actually remembered, and figured out that I was tripping insanely. I started walking around trying to figure out ways to break out of it, to wake up. Every now and then, I would recognize something, my head would snap, and I would wake up in my bed again. I remember having discussions with all sorts of people, but I don't remember who was real, and who was fake. I would hear voices all around me, and there would be no one around. I walked around my dorm at 10 p.m. smoking a cigarette in front of everybody. I had very crazy talks with one of my friends about evolution, religion, culture, and science. I had problems remembering names and would call people the completely wrong name and thinking that I was just saying their name. I remember finally breaking a reality and peeking into the real world at around 3 p.m. Then, I blacked out. I finally woke up in the morning, still skeptical whether or not this world was real. All day today, I have been getting constant flashbacks, which is helping me fill in the blanks to my story. I am skeptical to this moment right here, typing this paper. I could really be in a dream right now. Maybe I'm just dreaming that I look like this. My friends were telling me all this crazy shit that I did last night. I had conversations with myself, and would answer back as two other different people. My tongue got really large, and every time I started to talk, my teeth would just bite down on my tongue, painlessly. I have never tripped so hard in my entire life. This drug officially wins my number one on craziest drug out there. More intense than acid, shrooms, DMT, DXM, ecstasy, ayahuasca, opiates, and any other one that I've tried before. I am really sorry for the people I scared last night. I'm glad they were there to help me though. If you are reading this, and you know me, please respect, and don't mention the personal stuff that went on in my life with me, or to anyone else. I need to get over it myself. If I need someone to talk to, I'll come to you. You might notice me having a little trouble for a few days. It's the night after my insane trip, and I'm still getting flashbacks, having trouble walking, and my tongue fucking hurts.